Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Book Cheat, the book club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. My name is Dave Warnicky and on each episode of this show we look at one of the classics and joining me to look at such a classic this week, it's my podcast mates, Jess Perkins and Matt Stewart. I'm a book chook. The book chooks are here. So good to be back in the old chook house with you, booking it up, bookala, booku, bookumu. Correct. <laughs> Can I just confirm? I mean, you called us podcast mates there, which uh, accurate? Yes. Real life mates as well, or are we just work mates? Hmm, uh, interesting. We'll sorry to put you on the spot and on the record, but I'm afraid I will not continue if I don't like the answer. <laughs> you know, you are my my real busy mates. <laughs> Some of the very few people we had a very small wedding, and both of you made the cut. That's true. So, nothing else. I wanted you in the photos. And fair, because we looked hot. Gosh, you looked hot. Was it that one of those classic, uh, I'm inviting Jess, it would be rude if I didn't invite Matt scenarios? It was more or... like uh, several other people pulled out, and there was one spot for Jess, and I said, okay, fine, I'll have to invite Matt as well. Yeah. That's why I that was, was the on process. the fold-out chair. Yeah. <laughs> fold-out chair. <laughs> you, Matt slept on a deck chair at my wedding. And he looked great. Thank you so much. And comfortable. Mm. Um, a pleasure to be here, Dave. I haven't been on Book Cheat for ages. Well, thanks for coming back. Oh. I really appreciate having you both here. And before we get to the book, we've got to say, it's the most wonderful time of year in Melbourne. We're in April. It's the Melbourne International Comedy Festival has taken hold once again. Yeah. And we're all doing shows this year. For the first time since we've been doing our podcast, Do Go On, we're all doing solo shows. Somebody asked me the other day if that was a coordinated uh, attack in a way of like, okay, well, Jess and Dave in particular haven't done shows for quite a while. This is my first solo show. Someone was like, was that sort of, did you plan to all do solos? And I was like... Nah, just yeah, no, no, happened. No, no. We planned to clash. Yeah, we planned to, <laughs> we planned to uh, yeah, you know, compete with each other for <laughs> ticket <laughs> sales. Exactly, compete with the same audience that we share. Absolutely, that, yeah, was, a, that was a great call. A very smart choice. But and ideally, all... what we should have done is mm. all been in the same venue, smack bang after each other. That would have been great. That's so long. That's so much. Comedy. I reckon Who next would do that? next year we've got to do the do go on the venue. Yeah, I like oh. that. We buy a building. Yeah, I think we should buy a building. <laughs> we should buy we buy a, a theatre? Yeah. I think we go back to back each night, three shows, and then a fourth show every night is a podcast. We do a do go on, a book sheet, a who knew it, a primates. Yes. So each each night goes for 18 hours. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's awesome. And it's awesome. awesome. Tickets are only $200 a night. <laughs> that's great. Just that's... for us to break even on buying a building. <laughs> we cannot stress it's I very expensive. Know. If you know about buildings, yeah, Dave. The building I've bought is the MCG. Okay. 200,000. Sell that out, 200 a pop. <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah, easy night. peasy. Now we can afford the MCG. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe. Still only maybe. We've taken a risk and it's 
paid off big it time. It absolutely paid off. So we're also getting together for our Do Go On quiz show, which is very, very exciting. When this comes out, we've just done the first one. And what a show it was. Oh Geraldine God. Hickey, Kirsty Weebeck crushed it. These yeah. are the calibre of guests we're getting. So basically, I, uh, I've picked a topic from history. Jess and Matt don't know what it's going to be. Then I quiz them about it. It's something that we all know a lot about. A big topic, like last year we did... Um, the, Olympics? the history of the Olympics mm. or Albert Einstein, one of the most famous people ever. But how much do you know about them? Yeah. The and first then- week um, with Kirsty and Geraldine, we did toothpicks. I didn't think you'd get that much out of it, but somehow <laughs> yeah. you did. I actually was scrolling. I was going, oh, there's too much here. There's too much on <laughs> yeah. toothpicks. What a but fascinating history it was. <laughs> we've got two shows left to go with uh, great guests on Monday nights at the town. I'll hope to see you there. Jess is doing her show almost maybe at the Comedy Festival. That's right. It's at uh, the Improv Conspiracy Swanston. Um, it's called Almost Maybe. It's really fun. Um, and you can you should come along. And Matt, you are rocking and rolling. Your show's already started. Ding. Yeah, well, uh, firstly, I'd say do yourself a favour. Go see Jess Perkins' show. And if you have any spare time... <laughs> And laughs left to give. Please come and see me uh, doing ding at the Chinese Museum, 6.30, uh, all nights but Sundays at 5.30. And I'm also doing my um, podcast, Who Knew It, with Matt Stewart. And I'm doing that uh, live. With some great guests, some book cheat favourites, actually. Nick Mason. Woof. Cass Page. Woof. <laughs> and Ben Russell. Double oh, woof. man, that is a great lineup. Uh, that's at European Beer Cafe, but it's now called something else. And Morris, I, House. Morris, Morris House. House yes. At Morris House on Sunday, the 9th of April at 2 p.m. I'm also doing it in Brisbane, actually, at the Brisbane Comedy Festival, 7 p.m. on Sunday, May 14th. So much fun to be had. Get tickets via mattstewartcomedy.com. Fantastic. And finally, I should tell you that I'm still doing my show. I've got a week left to go of Even Hotter in Real Life, which is uh, my stand-up show. Had a lot of fun doing it. Hope to see you there. Can I just say, Matt and I have both seen the show. And we think he's bloody done it. Yeah. I've seen thank it you. now four times. Yeah. It's a great show. <laughs> and I apologize, but thank you. I've also sat through it one, one-on-one, sat through it and sound that glowing. No. But <laughs> it, No, it never is just a one-on-one read-through. It's very beneficial. Yes. Matt sat on a, a business chair while I stood there and just said it to him. Oh, it sucks, was doesn't it? very nice of you. But the following day, I returned the favor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's a great time of year. There's loads of uh, ex-book cheat guests former book cheat faves that you can go and see at mm. comedyfestival.com.au. Great time. Get out there. It's only, it goes so quick. Oh, only it three does. three weeks to go, which sounds like a long time, but really it goes so fast. It and comes like, but once a year. Like what you have to often tell your listeners, get out there, touch some grass. Yeah. <laughs> Am I using that term right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Touch some grass. I heard Dave say it the other week and I'm like, huh, I might try and use that one day. <laughs> See if I can get it in the right context. It doesn't quite work for going and seeing shows because you're not touching grass and you are like sitting quietly in a, in a, in a dark room. But at the MCG... Oh, of course. If you pay $400 yeah. for the on-grass seats. Yes. <laughs> That's right. We can fit more in. Yes, yeah, good one. Good one. <laughs> All right, let's talk about a book. I've been uh, reading a classic lately and I am going to tell you today all about Animal Farm. which is a very requested in a second I'm going to read you all the people that have requested this book it's very popular very popular or one that's not popular and people can't be bothered reading it that's the Uh, other possibility I believe it's often studied in many schools I did it at my school and Jess I think you told me that you've yep I did this this in in, I think year 11 I think it was year 10 or year 11 that we did uh, yeah it was one of those Animal Farm do you remember much about it I remember um, that that's where I learnt what an allegory is 
thought you were going to say alligator, and I was thinking that no, isn't a different him. animal. <laughs> and it's it's about piggies. Yes, lots and of I piggies. I remember one is called Napoleon. That's right. Ah. And it's an allegory. Right. Yep. Which we'll talk about. Beautiful name for. Don't fully girl. remember what for. Oh well, communism. Kinda. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I remember enjoying it. I think. Yeah. Fantastic. I think I found it a bit funny. Is it yeah. funny? Um. Not really. Dave, no, is this kind satire? Of dis- it's kind of... Di- yeah, it is satire. It's disturbing if you know what it, it all alludes to. Yeah. Even more disturbing, actually. I should say, even the it's stuff... It's not, about- not a lugs. It's an allegory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did a lugs do? The allugulation of this novel. <laughs> and Matt, do you have any knowledge of Animal Farm? What do you bring to the table? No, I... We what never to the kitchen table? <laughs> we never studied at school, but I did around high school time watch Babe. Um, which is also about a that is also a pig a pig and it's an animal farm talking pig I think similar stuff what year was Animal Farm written? Uh, 1945 so Matt wasn't even in school yet sorry it was it was um, it was it was written wait (laughs) (laughs) it was written after Matt had finished school yeah that's right you missed it you missed it you'd graduated I'm very old if book cheat listeners don't realise that (laughs) canonically Matt is 400 years old (laughs) <laughs> and that's rounding down. <laughs> yeah, I'm being generous there. No, well, he's had some work. I'm prehistoric. <laughs> that's right. There were no written records at that's the time, right. so we're not entirely sure how. <laughs> Certainly old no, it is. no books. As old as the wind, we generally mm. say. That's why I love Chicago, the windy city. <laughs> <laughs> when I go there, it feels like home. <laughs> Let it blow. <laughs> now, this book's been suggested, like I said, by a bunch of people, and thank you to Nicholas Stefano, Jessica Villarreal. Mary from Reading, or possibly Mary Reading. Jeff Slagle. Robin Rosiska. Oh my god, these names are all so good. Eric Waldorf. Oh. Sammy Frank. David Thompson, also from Reading. Tegan Longman. Luke Morgan. Oliver Petter Platt. Luke Morgan. <laughs> and a Luke Morgan to you too. <laughs> There's not a dud name amongst them. Kel Stevens. Tyrone Devon. Oh my god. Eli. Okay. <laughs> There's always one. It's a great first name. Probably holding something back. Yeah. I just yeah, don't know what the surname really is. Strong. Julius Vborn. Another couple of single names. Bill from Manchester. Solid, rock solid name. Tasha from England. Tasha, beautiful name. We've got Abby from Sydney. Abby, rock solid. Beautiful name. Keely Ludford. Oh my God, that is a beautiful name. And finally, thank you to Eric Weatherhead. Oh, oh my God, God, the most beautiful name yet. I love him. Eric Weatherhead. Weatherhead. Holy shit. So if you've got a book or a play or a poem or something you want me to cover on the show, there's a link in the show notes. Like if they've written one. <laughs> yeah. Dave, please review my poem. <laughs> Self-published. It's, it's well, like, not published. I give very critical feedback. Yeah, you I wrote it and do. put it in my drawer, but now I'm giving it to you. <laughs> Animal Farm, let's talk about it. It's a novel by English author George Orwell, first published in 1945. I've seen it described in many ways. An anti-utopian satire, a beast fable. Oh, a beast fable. Or, most commonly, an allegorical tale, mm-hmm. an allegory. Yes. In his essay... Cor- here are some words that rhyme with Corey. <laughs> Story. Montessori. <laughs> allegory. <laughs> That's where I learn allegory, I think. From the Corey Hotline. Uh, early episode of The Simpsons. Yep, yep. Lisa gets addicted oh, to calling the Corey Hotline yes. for like four ninety five a minute. That's right. Yeah, hope you and I can get married someday. <laughs> <laughs> 
In his essay published in 1946, just after this, called Why I Write, Orwell wrote that Animal Farm was the first book in which he tried with full consciousness of what he was trying to do, which was, quote, to fuse political purpose and artistic purpose into one whole... Hmm. I've got that book, Why I Write. It was given to me as a present years back. Interesting. Yeah. Still in the wrapping or...? No, I unwrapped it. <laughs> That'd be pretty rude, not done. Unwrapped it. it, looked at it, and went, huh? Wrapped it back up. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I went. Hmm. Oh, they gave me that. It was my cousin, very supportive cousin, gave me that and uh, a moleskin book. Said, I know you're, you're doing comedy, you're writing, and this is before I'd done um, stand up and stuff. And she's like, this, this, this is a place to put your ideas in. That's, that's like, so that lovely. Freaking legend. That that's is so really sweet. nice. Shout out Claire. <laughs> She's Shout not out Claire. She's not what? Not that supportive, then, is she? Yeah. You know what? I hate Claire. <laughs> what if she is listening? I love you, Claire. I still think you could do better, Claire. Molskin. It's quite nice. Yeah, it's really nice. I, but the problem was it was so nice that I never felt there was an idea worthy of it. <laughs> I don't think I ever put a word in it. Yeah. I should I, still, I still have it somewhere. Still but still pristine. And you're also nice. the same with the book. You didn't feel worthy enough to read it. Yeah, so 100%. Left, haven't, haven't read a single I word. No, I did read it. It's a very small book. Um, read big it, letters Read it in like Probably a couple of hours Wow Good work Not even a big deal Well at first With Animal Farm Orwell found it difficult To find a publisher Because as we'll soon discover The story is set on a farm Where animals take over And start to govern for themselves After kicking out their farmer The story is an allegory For the Russian Revolution Of 1917 Where the animals and events On the farm stand in For what happened during this part of history. Right. Which, to anyone unfamiliar, to briefly summarise and give a tiny bit of background, it's very complicated. Lots lots of stuff got, happened in a short period of time. But from 1917, Russia abolished its oppressive monarchy, kicked out the Tsar, and after two successive revolutions and a bloody civil war, the country adopted a socialist form of government. Initially, it was supposed to be all about the workers and improving life for everyone with a man called Vladimir Lenin in charge, Mm -hmm. who is a very controversial figure in history. Some people very much fan of him. Other people think that he is awful. But what we do know for sure is he died when, (gasps) when in charge. Lenin died and Joseph Stalin betrayed the cause and maneuvered to eliminate all of his opponents and tighten his own grip on power on... By that time, what was known as the Soviet Union. Right. So, And the animals stand in for these, these people, Lenin and Stalin. Gotcha. Stalin then inaugurated a period of rapid industrialization and forced collectivization that led to significant economic growth, but also contributed to a famine in 1930 through to 1933 that killed millions of people. He also sent millions of his perceived enemies to prisons or simply murdered them through what is known as the Great Purges. So all of this is covered, but with animals. Yeah, isn't it funny? I I could write heaps of books if I could just take an existing story and go, but he's not a man, he's a dog. So why don't you? I'm going like, to now that, that, that it's possible. Yeah. Get out that book that Claire gave you. Yeah. Finally an idea worthy. Just yeah. get started. <laughs> uh, what pick am I a, pick do? an event in history. 1977 drawn grand final. Okay, great. And Only played are, by dogs. Played by dogs. Fantastic. Dogs in little jumpers. Yeah. That's going to sell very well. People love dogs in little jumpers. Yeah. Love them. What kind of dogs? All different? Yeah, different kinds of oh, dogs. That's, that's the beauty that's, of footy, especially back then. It was a game 
for all shapes and sizes. That's a beautiful, yeah. a beautiful image, isn't it? Mm. And that's a metaphor. Yeah, that's nice. I think that's, that's big beautiful. dogs, little dogs. Yes, white dogs. Yep, yappy brown dogs. dogs. Yappy Fast dogs. dogs, slow dogs. dogs, tall dogs, snow dogs. <laughs> I think it's a hit. I think the problem with having us on the podcast is we immediately fall into a do go on setting where we just take over. So you you just you just need to keep keep interrupting us. You need to keep editing these bits out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you when Orwell he wrote it in 1943. Mm. During the Second World War, and the British intelligentsia at the time held Stalin in high regard, and he had trouble finding a publisher for Animal Farm. But when it was published in 1945, perceptions had changed partly because of the start of the Cold War, and it became a huge hit and was critically lauded. Wow! So it was massive for him. Then he followed it up with another famous book you might know. In 1946, he published an essay called "A Nice Cup of Tea." Oh yeah which was a discussion of the craft of the making of a cup of tea and included the line, here are my own 11 rules, every one of which I regard as golden. Mm -hmm. Golden rules of making a cup of tea. Jesus Christ, he really did run out of ideas, didn't he? God God was able to get all of his rules down to 10. Yeah, why are there 11 for a cup of tea? 11 for a cup of tea. I mean, that just shows how important they are. I think this essay is a good like writing exercise for somebody with like writer's block, but I don't think... I think he's taken this too far. Yeah, to publish it then. Yeah. And this wasn't even the first one. He'd written in 1945, the same year Animal Farm came out, he'd written a, an essay called In Defense of English Cooking. Mm, okay, wow. Dave, you'd love that. I love it. I'd, oh. I'd need to read it. I think I should read it. I'd love to hear the they other need side. A defense. <laughs> they can't defend their pizza, but everything else I think is fine. <laughs> They're so close to Italy. Yeah, we're so far away, but we've nailed it. <laughs> we make perfect pizza here. Tell you what, if you get down a red hot pizza, East Bentley, do yourself a favour. I don't know if they're still five bucks each, but five buck pizza. Yeah, this is when I was back a long time ago. This is the nineteen sixties. I think that was yeah, I think that was you being a child, um, and uh, yeah, and and you're ta- you know when you're like you think about stuff that you really loved as a kid, and you're like gross. I can I can I'm thinking about it. I can taste it. It's oh. so good. Anything you can taste that that long. Yeah. Later is awful. And they were the best. They were the they were just the night the two brothers who ran it. Oh and my we'll, god, we've gone off track again. Yeah, Sorry, Dave, I just back to the book. Oh, back Jesus. to Orwell, please. Well, we're nearly about to start the book, but I just wanted to say finally for Orwell, a couple of years later after these famous essays, he followed up with a, another classic 1984 which I covered last year. So he was on an absolute hot streak. Animal Farm. On a tear. Cups of tea. 1984. <laughs> is he the War of the Worlds guy? No, that's no. HG Wells. But And this guy is Orwell. George okay. Orwell. And then the actor who did um, famous movies and The Godfather and stuff. Orville? Oh, Orville. No. Who are you thinking, thinking of? Marlon Brando? Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> Is that who you're thinking Are of? they three different people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought them the same. H.G. Wells stands for Herbert George Wells, and this is George Orwell, so they're quite similar. I think but Marlon the... Brando was a real stretch. <laughs> yeah, that one didn't make a lot of sense. Do they all look similar? Oh, nah. Has no. Marlon Brando played one of them in a film? Oh, I don't think I don't so. Think so. Mm-hmm. Marlon Brando was in an H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells wrote the... What was the the, book? the island? That one? No. The one that you talked about on Do Go On. Dr. Moreau? Yeah, he, the island of Dr. Moreau. So H.G. Wells wrote that. Thank you. That starred Marlon Brando. Thank you. There's the connection. And they were they lived in the 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> Three titans of the 20th century. Much like us. Yes. 21st now. Wow. 
So, George Orwell. Let's not Marlon, not HG, but mm. George Orwell. He was on a hot streak, but sadly he died soon after in 1950 at the age of just 46. Oh. oh. Tuberculosis complications. Would there oh. be anything else we'd know? Because two of those are super iconic. Were they the only two that really cut through? He's got a couple other ones. Uh, Travels in Catalonia, which is like more autobiographical. But mm-hmm. these, I've but, heard of that. But 1984 and Animal Farm are definitely a cut above the others. They're yes. considered like 20, 20th century absolute classics. Yeah. So there he's two most famous. But who knows? He was only 46. He may have written more. And here's a fact I learned. No recorded copy of his voice exists. Whoa. So there's no interviews or anything like that. So I can't tell you what he sounded like. Hello, it's me, George <laughs> oh, Orwell. I wanted to be a radio presenter and they said no. <laughs> so I write me little books and I look at me little pictures. <laughs> So it turns out he sounds like Marlon Brando, so maybe that's <laughs> that's the confusion. I could have been a contender. <laughs> ah, you yeah. come here on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> Stella! <laughs> oh, Stella! <laughs> Bit of fun. Let's crack in. I always start with the opening line of yes. the, the book, and here it is. Let's see if I remember it. Animal Farm. Oink, oink, oink. Oink, oink. <laughs> You really dumped it down. <laughs> this is it's all in the subtext. Don't be lying. Mr. Jones of the Manor Farm had locked the hen houses for the night, but was too drunk to remember to shut the pop holes. Pop holes? Pop holes. Oh, we're off and away. There. And we're off. We're absolutely off. We've briefly met Mr. Jones there, the drunken owner of Manor Farm. And as soon as he goes upstairs to bed and turns the light out, the animals all gather in the barn for a meeting. In the book, they can speak English to each other. Right. Hmm. Surely they'd be speaking Russian. Hmm. 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 (laughs) I mean, I guess they've picked it up from the people in England, maybe. Hmm. There's a story going around that old major, an elderly and very respected 12-year-old pig, has had a dream that he wants to share. So they all gather around to hear it. And these are some of the animals. There's horses, boxer, clover, and molly. There's a few dogs, Jesse. Bluebell and Pincher. There's Pincher. a Pincher, a white goat called Muriel, a cynical donkey named Benjamin. Some of these names don't match. Mm. A dog is not Bluebell. That's no, a cow. No, that's a horse or a cow. That's a cow. Jesse, that's absolutely a dog. Mm. Sorry to say. It's okay. And there's also many chickens, hens, ducks, and other pigs, which we will talk about later. Oink, oink. So Old Major is up there on the podium, but before he shares the dream he's had, he shares a rousing observation he's made about all of their lives. He's realised that the animals are basically slaves for the humans who treat them poorly, work them incessantly, and then throw them on the scrap heap or slaughter them when they're no longer useful. He describes their lives as miserable, laborious, and short. The big three. But he's realised it doesn't have to be this way. The land they live on could support much more than it currently does, and they could all live in harmony and in much nicer conditions. He says, quote, Man is the only creature that consumes without producing. He does not give milk. He does not lay eggs. He is too weak to pull the plough. He cannot run fast enough to catch rabbits. Yet, he is lord of all the animals. And that makes you feel pretty embarrassed to be a human. Mm. I'm with him. Old Major. Yeah. Let's yeah. take down we the humans. We don't do anything. We're the worst. We've got no talents. No. 
And all this leads to his dream. He's had a dream about a world without humans, and it was beautiful. They're free, and the animals all live a life of dignity. He refers to them as comrades and encourages them to rise up together and overthrow their oppressors. The rule should be, quote, whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. So apologies to all kangaroos. <gasps> oh, no. They're out. Emus are okay because of the wings, even though they Thankfully, don't really work. yes, they've got the wings. Oh, but like, but these are like... These are British animals, you know. Mm. They don't know about kangaroos. They don't know, they don't know they're excluding kangaroos and rock wallabies. No, no, yeah. in the 40s, they definitely had some touring boxing kangaroos back then. Yeah, that's true. So they just hated them, I guess. Yeah, yeah this this was a, a choice. Mm. Same with the orangutans and... Yeah. I mean... Other apes. I guess sometimes they can go on all fours. So do kangaroos. So technically, do they go kangaroos down? They can, yeah, yeah. They, they sort of... Yeah. Fantastic. You just need to get them to do that a couple of times and you go, all right, you're off the yeah, board. So do I. Yeah. Well, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, I can do that every now and then. Like once a day, I could just go. Ooh, do, 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 yeah, when they say babies. 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 babies are looking good. Babies are, thankfully, babies are fine. But who's going to have the babies? Oh. What about um, like worms? Mm. They're just one leg. There's one they're one big leg. Yeah. They just roll around. Oh. That's tough, isn't it? They don't have wings that they I have, know of. They've said two legs, but they said nothing about one leg. Yeah. One leg or millipedes, many legs. Right. Should they be the new rulers? Yes, they've got the most legs. Should it be number of legs? Yeah, I think Far it should out. be. The more legs the merrier. Legs. Mm. Yeah, go. Okay. You know, it's food for thought, isn't it? Mm. Makes you think. Right, but fin- finally, old major, he's roused on him. He said, we've got to rise up. We've got to take down our oppressors. And he finally says, even when you have conquered him, do not adopt his vices. No animal must ever live in a house or sleep in a bed or wear clothes or drink alcohol or smoke tobacco or touch money or engage in trade. All the habits of men are evil. And above all, no animal must ever tyrannize over his own kind. Weak or strong, clever or simple, we are all brothers. No animal must ever kill any other animal. All animals are equal. I think this is a beautiful message. Mm. And, and they I'm... all erupt. They're like, yes! When Woo! he was like, hey, even if you're dumb, he like looked at Boxer the horse. And he's like, <laughs> hey? Hey, I'll thick you over here. You're still all right. And Boxer's like, huh? <laughs> Boxer's an idiot. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's talking to me. <laughs> Old Major then teaches them a rousing song called Beasts of England, which is a patriotic song that he knew as a boy and only has recently remembered. The animals love it and sing the song over and over again until Mr. Jones, the farmer, is woken up by the sound and thinking there must be a fox in the barn, he fires his gun. All the animals run quickly into their beds. But the seeds of rebellion have been sowed. Wow. So. Sowed? Sowed. Seeds. How you sow seeds. Yeah, right. And soon rebellion flowers will grow. Perfect. Bloody hell. What a beautiful allegory. Thank you. Speaking of which, so Farmer Jones here represents the Tsar. Got it. And the royal family of Russia. Right. Who were living in luxury whilst all the peasants and worker people... Shooting into the air. Scaring off Yeah, scaring them off. And there's debate as to whether Old Major represents Karl Marx the namesake of Marxism, whose theories inspired Russian revolutionaries. Or he could represent Vladimir Lenin, who played an integral role in the Russian Revolution and was the first and founding head of government of Soviet Russia. 
So two options there. Choose your own I'm old gonna major. S- I'm going to say Lennon. Mm, I'm going to say hmm, Lennon as well. Okay. <laughs> well done. Because I, I forgot being, the other option. Do you remember being at there, there was a picture of Lennon on, like, on the, one of the classroom walls in high school? Um, probably where they were doing history. John Lennon? Yeah. And then right next to that, this other Lennon. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember... Julian I, Lennon? I just remember... <laughs> Sean Lennon? <laughs> Surely not. Couldn't no. be Sean Lennon. No, someone written something next to it. No, no, no. I just remember... I'll always remember Lennon because one of my friends was just like, look at that glorious head of hair. Oh. She just thought Lennon was kind of hot. Okay. Was it Lennon? Oh, are you thinking of Karl Marx? No, no, no. It was Lennon. It was or Joseph a, Stalin. In a particular photo. It wasn't believe? Stalin. Lennon. Stalin had a thick rug. I was pictured. Lennon is usually fa- uh, oh. pictured as a bald man. Yeah, I'm got to be Though, thinking of somebody else. Famously, he did have to wear a wig to go undercover once. Okay, that's the photo. Maybe there's we're a talking. photo of the wig. Who had good hair then? Joseph Stalin. I reckon Stalin did. had a thick, thick head. Joseph Stalin was uh, quite attractive when he was younger. Dave, no, you know, that's not who I'm thinking of. You know the well, oh, it is. It absolutely is. It was this exact yes, picture. Yes, that's the photo I'm thinking of too. Yeah. I remember there was a viral tweet once that said, "I really w- want to take this to my hairdresser because I love this hair and he looks great." But I feel embarrassed taking a photo of Joseph Stalin. <laughs> but if you look at that, just at a glance, that's Sam Taunton. Yeah, that's Taunton's hair. Yes, you know another I mean? handsome. Do you think man. Taunts goes in and asks for the Stalin? I think at this point <laughs> he goes in and asks for the Taunton. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> He's a little Stalin. I'm sorry, I thought it was Lennon. This whole time, I've had there Lennon go, in my head. There you go, Lennon. Yeah, he's he's bald. He's he kill for that hair. Mm. The the new Tism guitarist is they all take a, a pseudonym. He's called uh, Vladimir Lennon McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of fun. That is That's good. funny. That's good stuff. <laughs> so back to the book. Old Major, who's roused everyone up, soon dies in his sleep, and later on in the book, his skull is put on display as a reminder of the revolution. Which makes me think he actually represents Lenin because Vladimir Lenin's body is still on display in Moscow almost 100 years later. Wow. Whoa. You can walk past him. His body is on display? Yeah. That How? feels pretty disrespectful. Yeah, they Walking sort of... past him, I'd, I'd stop and go... <laughs> Give him a nod. <laughs> you know. Is he not just bones at this point? Like, you can actually see him or it's like no, he's in a like coffin No, they've pumped him full of, like, formaldehyde and stuff like that. Yeah, no, you can see his... Really? Oh, skin and all. Yeah. They've mummified him, sort of, yeah. or whatever. Ugh. I've probably packed his ass with cotton. Oh, oh he's fully yeah. packed. They packed that Packed man. to the bloody eyeballs. <laughs> Yuck. I hate that. Don't ever do that to me when I die. Please. Aww. No, don't put me on display for 100 years. Okay, fine. 80 years. We'll cap it at that, and then you'll be gone in the ground. <sighs> 95. No, I, Final he's, Dave said 80. Well, I'm compromising half, with Dave. Yep. Halfway. I'll agree. I'll take it. That's not halfway at all. <laughs> well, well, all right. Agree to disagree. 97 and a half years. Fantastic. Halfway between we'll meet you halfway. 100. Yeah. <laughs> so old major's gone, but he's well and truly inspired the animals who plan an uprising, which is put together by the smartest animals, the smartest of whom are the pigs, including three key pigs, Napoleon. Yes. Snowball. Oh, yeah, Snowball. And Squealer. <laughs> not talk about Snowball it. too. <laughs> no. I thought... Right, so it's interesting they've gone with Napoleon, a famous like li- like political uh, leader and, and general, ar- yeah. army leader, and then Snowball. Are they are they all meaning something? Do they all have sort of... No, not that I have put together. Napoleon maybe... seems to stand out from the rest a little bit. Well, let's see what he does. Okay. Together. Puts the... his hand in his shirt. <laughs> where's a, where's <laughs> a large hat? No, they're not allowed to wear clothes. Oh, that's right. So the smart animals come up with 
the ideology of animalism and several nights a week after Mr. Jones falls asleep, they have secret meetings where they teach the others about the principles of animalism. The animals don't fully get it at first, but after several meetings, they begin to accept and understand that they'd be better off without Farmer Jones. So these are the, the early days of the revolution in, in Russia, where they've come up with this idea, this new way of living, and they have to convince the people, hey, wouldn't it be better if we kicked them out and we got to rule ourselves? Boxer and Clover, the cart horses, are especially on board with everything their pig teachers tell them. And as Jess has already said, Boxer, especially not so smart. Oh, wow, I nailed it. Boxer's <laughs> not an so idiot. Smart. And then one day, the revolt starts. Mr. Jones had lately taken to drinking after losing a bunch of lawsuits. And he... <laughs> And he gets drunk for many days in a row and he forgets to feed the animals and out of hunger they break into their food supplies in the store shed. The book says, quote, As it turned out, the rebellion was achieved much earlier and more easily than anyone had expected. Hunger will motivate you. Absolutely. You know. Survival. Yeah. But so is is that meant to be a, a, Len, uh, sorry, a, a czar allegory? Was he drunk after losing some court cases? Uh, no, but I think that he was having trouble with uh, some of his neighbouring countries, especially because this is all taking part at the same time as World War One, mm. which Russia was involved with and it was very unpopular. And that also led to some unrest. And then the people at home were being treated badly and they weren't having enough food. Right. And then finally, like they've been talking about it for years and finally it just happened. Yep. The next day, Jones and his four workers try to deter the animals with whips, but they all gather together, that's the animals, and buck and bite and kick away the humans so much so that they give up and fled and flee the farm. Wow. Just completely leave the farm, not yeah, even they, just go back into their house. They just run away. No, wow. they're like, oh, i got to go. And just like that, the animals are in control. Wow. That was quite easy. Yeah, I imagine the humans will come back pretty soon with, you know. Guns. Guns and... <laughs> Be Tranquilizers. Pretty, yeah, I think this will be a pretty short. <laughs> Quite a lot of ketamine. Short run thing, yeah. <laughs> Just to get themselves the, in the mood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, there we go. But not too much. <laughs> the animals then did a victory lap and burnt all the whips and other implements of control that the farmers had. How'd they light matches? With their little mouths going. <laughs> Got mm. it. Yeah, chickens would have been able to do that. Just their natural neck movement yeah, is very perfect, good actually, for. Yeah starting fires and then the pigs who had been slowly teaching themselves to read first crossed out the sign that said manor farm and renamed it animal farm and then they wrote out seven commandments of animalism in large letters on the wall of the shed see seven. this is way more efficient he took 11 to write about tea but when he's seven for the book for the whole of animalism yeah come on mate you know how the British take their tea very oh, seriously. Very seriously. A little too seriously, if you ask me. And to write this, the pigs have to balance on a ladder and use a paintbrush, which is quite cute to imagine. Yeah, that is cute. <laughs> Let's just think about that for a second. Oh, you were recently up a ladder and got quite scared, though. Oh, yeah, but I was using a power sander. And Terrifying. it's very cute to imagine. It is very cute to imagine. <laughs> oh! Oh! It's very cute. Uh, this is quite integral to the book. These are the seven commandments of animalism that they right. write on the wall. These are the seven. Number one, whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Mm -hmm. Number two, whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. That Number could have been one, but yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Number three, no animal shall wear clothes. Mm -hmm. 
Number four, no animal shall sleep in a bed. Mm-hmm. Number five, no animal shall drink alcohol. Number six, no animal shall kill any other animal. Number seven, all animals are equal. Right. I like. I mean, I would have put that one first. Uh, but yeah, there's a couple in there that would have me saying, "I'm out." <laughs> <laughs> what what things? <laughs> I know this is going to make me sound like I'm a, a real pampered type, but I love sleeping in a bed. You love yeah, a bed. it's my preferred place to sleep. Yeah. Uh, I also don't mind a little tipple. Yeah. And uh, what else was there? I like wearing, wearing clothes. clothes. Yeah. And you also hate anything on four legs or that has wings. No problems there. I actually hate it when you wear clothes. <laughs> yeah. So that's there. I can that's see you differ. undressing me with your eyes. <laughs> You're overriding Stop his it. objection. Yeah, actually... You can have your tipple, but you've got to lose the pants. <laughs> well, after the tipple, that gets a little easier. <laughs> the pants come off anyway. So they have these seven commandments. Everyone's happy. Fantastic. We now rule ourselves. Then the pigs milked the cows who hadn't been milked for 24 hours and their udders were bursting. And someone says, what is going to happen to all that milk? One of the hens replies, Jones used to sometimes mix some of it into our mash. Never mind the milk, comrades, cried Napoleon, placing himself in front of the buckets. This is the pig. That will be attended to. The harvest is more important. Comrade Snowball will lead the way. I shall follow in a few minutes. Oh, Forward, no. Forward, comrades. The hay is waiting. Is this day one, Napoleon's stealing day milk? Saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I Don't worry about the milk. I think they would have got through a little bit longer before it <laughs> fell apart, surely. Don't you think it would feel weird... Like, I, I, when you think about it too much, it's weird that we drink milk from cows. Yeah. You know, like that's, but, but the, they're your fellow animals and your friends. It's like if Matt had the ability to produce I juice do. from his nipples. And I do. And we were just like, mm, they're Maddie, weeping right I, now. Could I have a glass of juice, please? And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I'll take this. <laughs> Jess, you go um, uh, do something else. Do and, something uh, else. Yeah, yeah. When you come back, don't worry about it. The juice will be here for sure. Absolutely. I like to picture Napoleon's eyes just sort of darting around yeah, the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're good. No, no, don't worry about that. I'm good. I'll, I'll catch up. I'll catch up. No reason. You guys go. I'll catch up. I hope he said What's this on my face? Not milk. I accidentally knocked it over and, yeah. and my mouth fell onto it. That's why I've got some on my face. But <laughs> Well, now free from their oppressors, the animal's harvest is huge and they complete it in a, in a much faster time than the humans ever did. They all work extremely hard and over summer eat more than they did when Mr. Jones was in charge. They do notice, though, that when they get back from the first harvest, the buckets of milk are empty. Mm. But Squealer the pigs, <laughs> but Squealer the pig explains that the extra milk and apples are mixed into the pig's mash rather than be shared equally as the other animals had initially imagined. Squealer tells them, Comrades, you do not imagine, I hope, that we pigs are doing this in a spirit of selfishness and privilege, many of us actually dislike milk and apples. I dislike them myself. Our sole object in taking these things is to preserve our health. Milk and apples, this has been proven by science comrades, contain substances absolutely necessary to the well-being of a pig. We pigs are brain workers. The whole management and organisation of this farm depend upon us. 
Day and night, we are watching over your welfare. It is for your sake that we drink that milk and eat those apples. Mm, it's a bit gaslight, isn't it? Mm. Yes. I think, again, I'm going to have to say, I'm out. <laughs> I, mean, I want them milk and apples. <laughs> Give me the apples. <laughs> he also says, hey, if we fail... Mr. Jones will come back. You don't want that, do you? And they all yeah. go, oh, no, no, no. We don't oh, want, we yeah, don't want cool. that. That's... Just being absolutely manipulated by yeah. these pigs. And Squealer, the pig specifically, represents the Soviet press, which was used to control the people in the USSR right. with their propaganda and distortion of the truth. Right. Often ba- basically publishing blatant lies that rewrite the past yeah. so that it justifies the present. It's... Yep. It's pretty fun to think about these pigs milking the cows as well. How are they that doing it? That would be brutal if it's mouth. It's got to be their mouth. It's got to be their mouth. Which is also kind of weird. And then spitting it into the bucket? No, I think like just grabbing the teat. Okay, well, we're talking so longish like, teats, I suppose. They are pretty long teats and, and maybe a, a pig has a delicate mouth. So the pig, so imagine the teats going along this way. Yes. And it's coming out the side of your mouth which, and then you're aiming right. that in the bucket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like delicately sort of biting on the teats. Right. Honestly, if you're putting that much effort in, you probably deserve the milk. Yeah, I think so. But also like, how are you looking your friend in the eye after that? Yeah. Just have to nibble on their teat for a bit. Come yeah. On. No, well, yeah. Hey, this is just business. Yeah. <laughs> just business. It's natural. You know, I'm being a bit of a prude, I think. I saw a video, uh, Ray when Pickering was doing a show about growing up uh, in the country on yep. farms and stuff. That's exactly what I was just thinking she of. Just did the video. She put up a video. She works on a farm in Melbourne and uh, she can milk a whole cow in a minute. Yeah. Fill up a litre bucket in a minute. In a minute. That's incredible. It is. Very it quick. was beautiful to watch. <laughs> It's a great motion. You just get in the flow. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. It's really impressive. Hmm. Yeah. I want to see her milk a pig. Yeah. While the pig milks a cow. (laughs) Cycle of life. Yeah, yeah. So the pigs put themselves in management positions whilst the other animals work the farm. Boxer the horse proves himself to be an extremely hard worker and can pull as much as three horses. Whoa. And wakes up 30 minutes early to get more work done. Oh, boxer. And despite not being very intelligent, he is fully dedicated to the cause. His motto is, I will work harder. (laughs) Oh, boxer, you are a bit dim. Yes. That's not a good motto. That is not a good motto. Harder than what? Yeah. Yesterday, I don't know. It's unattainable. It is. You can never get there. How about, I will have work-life balance. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Have a day off, boxer. I will have a chocolate treat before bed. Who's who's paying you for this extra half hour you're putting in every day? Okay. Well, Jess doesn't get it. Jess, this isn't about pay, okay? This is about putting in for the pigs. Yes, this is about helping out the piggies. You're a pig. All the cream comes up to me, the pig. (laughs) You're just a big old horse doing your job with your strong legs. Yeah, I guess so. And keep it up. You're doing a great job uh, making all this stuff in my big brain. Yeah, your big old brain that needs a lot of milk and apples, which you hate, but you bravely eat. Jess, do you want Mr. Jones to come back? No! Exactly. Okay. And that's every time they, anyone says anything out of line, they're like, oh, sounds like you want Mr. Jones to come. Oh, I like, guess no, no, no. I'm calling Mr. Jones right now. <laughs> Dr. Jones? I mean, Mr. Jones? <laughs> every Sunday, the animals meet and two of the pigs, Snowball and Napoleon, debate over things they can't agree on. Snowball represents Leon Trotsky, another revolutionary from the, from the period, and he forms a number of subcommittees and breaks down the seven commandments to the shorter but more memorable four legs good, Two legs bad. Hmm. That is nice. Mm. Punchy. Yeah. 
easier to tattoo on oneself. Yes. Some of the animals learn to read, some better than others. Boxer can't imagine more than any four letters of the alphabet at a time. So he gets A, B, C, and D, and then if he learns the next four, he represents... He, he forgets? He forgets A, B, C, and D. Oh, Boxer. I think but, I'm Boxer. Just a workhorse. Yeah, just a bit of an idiot. <laughs> Meanwhile, Napoleon, the other pig, who debates Snowball and who represents Joseph Stalin. So Napoleon uh-huh. is Stalin. Yep. Snowball is... Trotsky. Yes. Squealer is the press. Is the press. Yeah. Napoleon says there is nothing more integral than educating the youth. And when nine young puppies are born, he takes the young dogs away to be privately educated in a secluded loft. And soon the other animals forget that they even exist. So he takes these dogs away and he says, oh, I'll take care of these dogs. I'll, I'll teach them. Don't want to keep them with mum for the no. six to eight weeks takes they're supposed to be kept with mum? Takes them away. This guy doesn't know anything about breeding pups. <laughs> Meanwhile, the evicted Mr. Jones, who represents the Tsar, complains to other humans at the pub after his exile. The two farmers either side of Animal Farm. There's Foxwood, owned by Mr. Pilkington, and Pinchfield, owned by Mr. Frederick. And they hate each other. Ah. And even though they are very worried about the uprising of the animals and fear their own animals could do the same, they can't agree with each other how they can help. Mr. Pilkington represents the Allies in World War II and Mr. Frederick represents Adolf Hitler. Oh, wow. You don't want to be Hitler, do you? And even before this time when the Russian Revolution was going on, a lot of other kingdoms with monarchies were watching on, worried, being like, oh, what if they rise up against us? Okay, we don't want to support this. We don't want our own people to do this here. So that sort of represents that sort of thing. And also parts of World War II where uh, the Soviet Union was in between Germany and, and the Allies. Mr. Jones does appear one day with a gun, as Matt predicted, and a group of other humans, but Snowball the pig has planned for this and leads the defence. Snowball himself is very brave and is grazed by a bullet and a sheep is killed in the crossfire, but the animals are able to fight back and force the humans to retreat. This, from here on, is known as the Battle of the Cowshed. Afterwards, medals are given in honour of the battle. First, Snowball is awarded Animal Hero, first class. And uh, the killed animal is named Animal Hero, second class. They also find Mr. Jones's gun, which they decide will be fired ceremonially twice a year. First on the anniversary of the rebellion and also on the anniversary of the Battle of the Cowshed. Wow. So yeah, the, an- the humans have tried to fight back, but the animals have very much held on to power. I believe that that's exactly how it would have gone down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The animals would definitely win. Yeah. You can kick a gun. Yeah, you can kick a gun. Much like you can milk a cow with your mouth, you can shoot a gun with your mouth. Yeah. You can kick a gun with your mouth. Uh, You can do anything with your mouth when you're a pig. Yeah. Got beautiful mouth. Big, beautiful mouths. (laughs) What they're famous for. Yeah. (laughs) Pigs and their mouths. Yeah. That's the the, the most sought-after cut of... Of pig meat the is mouth. the mouth. <laughs> oh, give me the mouth. <laughs> Do you have any of that mouth bacon? <laughs> Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So Napoleon, remember Stalin, Snowball, who is... Trotsky, still continue to go toe-to-toe with their speeches. Snowball is more charismatic and better at rousing support, but Napoleon is good at manoeuvring between meetings to get other animals on his side, including the sheep that constantly bleat for minutes at a time. Four legs good, two legs bad. That's right. Especially when Snowball is speaking, and this interrupts his flow and stifles his influence, because he's a great public speaker, but he gets basically the sheep to heckle him until he can't speak anymore. Snowball has lots of plans and ideas, whilst Napoleon doesn't seem to offer any of his own. He does, however, tell the animals that Snowball's ideas aren't very good. So he's like, I've got none of my ideas, but his ideas suck. (laughs) One big example is a windmill, which Snowball proposes they work together to build. How are these animals going to build a windmill? With lots and lots of effort and putting shit in their mouths. Yeah. He says that the electricity and water produced by the windmill would mean they would only have to work three days a week and they'll have luxury, like, heated stalls to sleep in. What? Who's running these... Who's running the pipes? Uh, the mouths the of the pigs. Ah, oh, yep. The yep. mouths... Are, the pigs do great electrical work and with their mouths. And they're qualified electricians? The mouth their mouths are, yes. Yep. Hmm. They've gone to TAFE. Their mouth has... Mouth TAFE. Yeah. Mouth TAFE. Yep. Hmm. Okay, never heard of it, but... I guess I'm not a pig. So. You're not a pig. Exactly. I'm a horse. It's different in the pig world. Horses don't go to mouth tape. So Snowball's like, let's build the windmill. It'll make our lives easier. We'll won't have to work as hard. Or we'll be able to be living in luxury. It'd be great. And the animals are on board. But then Napoleon, however, disagrees with the plan and tells the others that they must focus on farming and that if they go through with Snowball's windmill, they'll all starve to death. Oh, jeez. This is, this is a real shame. Snowball seems like it's got a tart in the right place. Yep. Snowball is a another pig. Another mm-hmm. pig. Yeah. So the, the pigs the, are the they're the big dogs. They're the leaders. Here. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also dogs who are smaller dogs. Right. And the so the dogs are a smaller playing a smaller part. Yeah. Whereas the horses, what they represent, the working class or something. Working class people. Yeah. Right. And when the sheep heckled, did they ever say "Bar Ram you, Bar Ram you"? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm. Okay. See, this is what you... Because I did... Because I remember... I think Babe was based on this book. Babe's an allegory. Yeah. That'll do, Jess. (laughs) 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 Bit of fun there. (laughs) So, the windmill is a big point of contention. Snowball spends months planning it, drawing complicated plans in chalk on the ground. Most of the other animals don't understand, but they're impressed. They're like, that looks like a good plan. But Napoleon one day visits the plans and takes a big old piss on him. <gasps> Literally? Oh he pisses God. all over the, the chalk. Napoleon. Oh, sorry. I didn't see your plans there. I was oh, just, sorry. I was just taking a piss. Just need to piss. <laughs> you shouldn't have drawn your plans on my toilet. Yeah. <laughs> a bit disappointed by the way Napoleon's going about things. No. Are you? A little underhanded. Hmm. Hmm. Finally, Snowball perfects his plan and the idea of a windmill is put to a vote. 
Snowball tells the others that it will be hard work, yes, but if they work together, they can make it a reality and everything will be better. Napoleon then gets up and says, it's a bad idea. But Snowball counters and wins over the gathered audience who are about to vote. But then, Napoleon, Mr. Stalin Pig, makes a noise and nine ferocious, fully grown dogs run in <gasps> and chase Snowball away. Whoa. The other animals realize that these are the nine puppies that Napoleon took away for private education that they all forgot about. Oh. These dogs represent the Soviet secret police, the NKVD, that Stalin used to terrorize and repress the population. So Snowball the pig is chased away from the farm, and Napoleon stands in front of everyone, surrounded by his nine attack dogs. And one of the other animals remarks that, oh, the dogs seem to look at him the way that they used to look at the human, Mr. Jones. Bit of a foreshadowing there. Hmm. Napoleon, now in front of everyone with the dogs, makes an announcement of a few new rules for the farm that he's been working on. There will no longer meet on Sundays. There will be no more debates or any more votes. Everything will now be decided by a pig committee headed by him. The animals are shocked at this announcement. Even the ever-faithful horse boxer. The Jess Perkins. Yeah. What? But just as everyone starts questioning it, the sheep start bleeding four legs good, two legs bad, over and over again for 15 minutes, and no one is able to protest, and everyone sort of forgets and goes, oh, well. That's a bit much sheep. 15 minutes. It's <sighs> a long time. Gosh, shut up. So Snowball got chased away but survived? Just is now living in exile. In exile. In real life, Trotsky eventually made it to Mexico City, where he lived for a time, but then an agent representing Stalin tracked him down and murdered him with an ice pick. In Mexico City? Yeah, and I've, there's a museum that I've been to called the Trotsky Museum, and you get to go to the house where he lived. Wow. Why did, why did they care when he was that far away? Well, just because he was still seen as an influential figure that would write, like... Re- Leave write. him alone. Yeah, I... Here's, what, here's where I went Because I'm Boxer the Horse I was like Mexico's hot How did they have an ice pick And it didn't melt <laughs> Yeah did they, <laughs> did they bring an esky It was often called The perfect murder weapon Because it melts <laughs> No it was a metal ice pick That they drove through oh, his brain They make metal ice picks now Yeah Wow It's a better way That's where I didn't yeah. hear anything You said Because I was just imagining mm. A killer walking along With an esky I just, I just feel for this Trotsky guy. Yeah, and yeah, you can go to, you can. I've stood in the very room where he was assassinated. Cool. I'm starting to think that this <laughs> Stalin guy was a bit of a an a hole. So I guess what does that say about Napoleon then? Hmm. Let's oh. find out. Let's find out. Well, later, Squeal of the Pig, who's the Soviet paper one, yep. starts telling the others that Snowball is a traitor and that they're better off without him. Right. But when someone mentions how Snowball fought hard in the Battle of the Cowshed and was he always fought for our cause. Squealer says, no, 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 no. You're misremembering. His actions have been exaggerated. He wasn't brave. You're getting it wrong. Boxer the horse is again confronted by this as he remembers seeing Snowball fight hard. But he tells himself, if Napoleon says that, well, it must be right. Mm. And from then on, this is a quote from the book, he adopted the maxim, Napoleon is always right. In addition to his private motto, I will work harder. Oh, Boxer, so now he's got big, two mottos. Beautiful idiot. A few weeks go by after Snowball's departure and Napoleon tells the others that they will indeed, after all, be building the windmill. And that to do so, they must reduce their rations. So 
he basically disagreed with Snowball just so he could turn everyone against Snowball. And now he's like, actually, that was a pretty good idea. I'll yeah, take, we'll that, take that. I'll take yeah. that idea. Oh, God. I've just had an idea. I've just had a great idea. That what wasn't about... that Snowball's idea? No, what? you're misremembering. No, misremembering. Yeah. God, you're idiots. You'd all fall apart without me. And you're right. Actually, Squealer tells the others that the windmill was Napoleon's idea all along, but he just pretended to be against it for the good of the farm. He tells them, that's a thing we call tactics. And the, the other animal's like, well, I don't know what that is, but I guess it's something. Wow. <laughs> These animals are idiots. They're kind of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so the animals get to work on building the windmill, which is very hard because they have to break stones to, to make it them small enough for them to carry. Yeah. It's very difficult for animals to build a windmill. Boxer works harder than ever. Boxer, the, you big, beautiful idiot. The animals are told that... Working on Sundays is optional, but anyone who doesn't will have their food ration cut in half. But before it was, you're not working on Sundays. Mm, but now, hey, you don't have to work on Sundays. Sundays are still a holiday, but if you don't work on Sundays, you only get half the food of everyone else. So is it optional? Not really. Yeah. But there are, are a f- few items that the animals aren't able to make themselves, like nails and kerosene. Napoleon's solution to this is to hire a human called Mr. Wimper. A solicitor who lives in the town who will act on their behalf and they'll start trading with other human farms. How, wait, how are they, how are they communicating with him? They can speak in, right, they can write in English, remember. Oh, so they just send in letters they saying, send letters. hi, I'm a pig. Hi, I'm a pig. Can uh, you... In the market for a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you believe that they can speak to each other in English, why not believe they can speak yeah. to humans? No, no well, th- this is a bridge too far for me. Yeah, we, we needed to find the line and there it is. There it is. Yep. A bit far-fetched, actually. So the animals are shocked and alarmed at this announcement of dealing with their sworn enemies, but Squeal of the Pig smoothed things over by reminding them, the animals, that the Seven Commandments never forbade using money or trading with humans, and anyone who thinks it's bad has been influenced by that lying scum Snowball. Wow. So Snowball starts becoming a real patsy. Yeah, it's really annoying that his wicked influence is still lingering. After expelling him. Yeah, but he's still influencing them somehow. Jeez, this guy's the worst. And speaking of the Seven Commandments, the animals of the farm start to hear that the pigs are sleeping in Jones's old house and have started sleeping in his old bed. But hmm. that's one of the rules. Yes. Clover the horse, remembers, is definitely in violation of the commandments. So to make sure she gets Muriel the goat, who's the best reader out of everyone who's not a pig, to read to her the commandment that's written on the wall in front of everyone and discovers it says, no animal shall sleep in a bed with sheets. Oh, yep. Yep. So it's always been, got to read So it's been changed, print. but they, they go, huh, I guess it's always been like that. Conditions apply. Mm. See fine print for details. Yeah. Speak to your doctor if pain persists. <laughs> And when they're, when they're looking at it going, oh, I don't remember it saying that, Squealer, the pig again appears and says, the animals have simply forgotten that the words in sheets were always there. Wow. After all, all animals have to sleep in a bed of some kind. and The pigs work the hardest, so they need the best beds for rest. It makes sense. You're all crazy. Mm. Do they work the hardest? I mean, I, like, I know obviously they don't, but could they even... Could... could the horses even believe that? Well, I mean, like, how do you... That's so interesting, Matt, because how do you define hard work? It's a bit like, are they the most successful? Well, it depends on your definition of right. success. yeah, that's true. You know, if you're thinking money, fame, power, poor, maybe, saying, but that's a pretty, in mm, my eyes, 
pretty rigid view of the world. Because they're saying it's brain work. We're managing. We're the big ideas animals. Yeah. yeah. This is the hardest of all work. This is much harder than backbreaking labor. And I would agree. I think my job, you know, being on and and, and mentally draining is harder than uh, being a doctor. Well, you to me, you're now just sounding like, you know, an Alan Joyce type. You know, a CEO yes. taking so much money. Uh-huh. Uh, for what? Doing a few press conferences. Yeah. Do you know how hard they are? In a few meetings. Okay, Matt, I'd like to see you sit in a meeting and see how hard it is. <laughs> I honestly I'd love find to see it, you sit in a meeting. I find it brutal. I really hate Correct. sitting in unless they're fun meetings There's about no fun thing. things. There's no such thing. Yeah. Even meetings about fun things are the worst. Anyway. So in reality, the Bolshevik Party who was in charge of the Soviet Union moved into the Kremlin in Moscow, which was an old palace. Oh. Built by the royal family, and Stalin lived a pretty lavish lifestyle with access to multiple houses, nice cars, great wine and tobacco, which was a lot more when compared to his people and the everyday person. No, you're misremembering, Dave. <laughs> we all had palaces. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> a storm soon batters Animal Farm and smashes the windmill to pieces, eroding months of the animal's hard labour. Napoleon announces that it was in fact Snowball who sabotaged the windmill and he sentences Snowball to death in absentia. He then encourages the animals to rebuild the windmill and make it even stronger than ever and this will involve a lot more labour. So the animals toil through the harsh winter to get the windmill built and conditions go from bad to worse when the potato crop fails and they're told their rations will decrease even further. Napoleon doesn't want the outside world to know that they are struggling to feed themselves. So when the lawyer, Mr. Wimper, visits, it's set up to look like they have more supplies than they do. Like they put the, they fill the bottom of the, the barrels of food with the cardboard. Yeah, yeah cardboard <laughs> yeah, of wood, yeah, yeah. and then they put the grain over the top. So it looks like we've got heaps of stuff, which you know, in reality, the Soviet Union were doing to make, when anyone from the outside visited, they're like, this country is doing great. When in reality, there was, like I said, at the time of the early 1930s, a time when they went through famine where millions of people starved. To get extra grain, Napoleon uh, makes a deal with a neighbouring human-run farm to exchange grain for 400 chicken eggs per week. The chickens are not happy when they're told they have to give up their eggs and stage a protest by flying up into the rafters of the barn and laying the eggs that they smash onto the floor below. <gasps> oh, i got a funny feeling that the wings thing is going to come out of... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck the wings. Yeah. 400 eggs Two is... Two legs bad. Doesn't matter if they got wings. <laughs> um, four, 400 eggs is mm. a lot of eggs. Have they got 400 chickens or something? That's crazy. Is that a lot of eggs? I think it's a lot of eggs. There's not that many chickens. That's wild. They're 400 just, a week? Just pumping them out. Is it a week? Yeah, 400 chicken what? eggs per week. What? So they're up there staging a protest. And in response, Napoleon cuts all of their food supplies... And after five days and the death of nine chickens, oh! they halt the rebellion. Napoleon, of course, says they have died from disease, not from starvation. What are you talking about? That sucks. So anytime someone tries to rise up, they are quickly crushed. They are quelled. Mm. Now, what, what's their problem with the eggs being taken? What would they be doing with the eggs? Uh, These fertilized eggs? chickens. Right. Yeah. Basically taking away their babies. Yeah, okay. Well, I can see why that might be a problem. But that might be... Can you? So well, shouldn't there be heaps of chickens then if they're laying 400 eggs a week? Well, there's quite... I don't know the numbers here, but not, at least um, nine of them 
die from starvation in that time. I think George Orwell or H.D. Wells should have done a little more research before writing this one up. I mean, there could be 400 chickens, I don't know. (laughs) He doesn't say. It's not a picture book? No, no illustrations. What? Snowball continues to be named as the source behind all their woes and is blamed for everything that goes wrong. When they lose the key to the store shed where everything's kept, the pigs say that Snowball is responsible and that he must have thrown the key down the well to stop us from getting to our supplies. The HG well. (laughs) (laughs) It all makes sense now. And they actually continue this lie even when they find the misplaced key, which was just under a bag of food. No, no, no. He threw it down the well. And then he went and got it and put it it under this bag of food. Just to make us look silly. What a prick. What a prick. Napoleon, after this, announces an investigation into Snowball and finds that Snowball was in fact behind the the attack on the Battle of the Cowshed and that he was working with the humans the whole time. Whoa, this Snowball is bad news. He's a bad guy. And most of the other animals are like, but I remember him <laughs> fighting valiantly on our side against the farmers. But Squealer, the newspaper guy, retorts that that was just part of Snowball's plan to cover his tracks. He mm. looked like he was fighting for us, but really, he was a bad guy. And after all, it was actually Napoleon, our fearless leader, who was heroic during the battle who threw himself onto the enemy, risking his life, even though that's absolutely untrue. One word to describe Snowball, dastardly. Mm. Yes, that dastardly Snowball. Mm. That dastardly pig. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Boxer, the strong horse, has trouble accepting that Snowball wasn't on their side because he remembers him fighting alongside him. But Squealer insists that Napoleon said that he wasn't and that they have a confession in Snowball's handwriting. This is enough for Boxer to accept it after hoof riding? all, hoof riding. Yeah, hoof riding. Come on, Dave. He's hoof riding. I'm so I'm sorry. They don't have hands. You've you've taken the time to be on this podcast. Yeah. The least he could do would be re- to respect you enough. Yeah. To not lie to your face. Thank you. I imagine they probably pigs have hands in this madcapped world. All of a sudden, <laughs> well, keep that thought. They're gonna grow hands. This. Is enough for Boxer. He's like, well, if Napoleon says it, it must be right. But Squealer looks at Boxer with suspicion. Because he's questioning stuff. Uh-oh. The next day, Napoleon, who is not seen as much anymore, he's always away in his palace or house, he assembles all of the animals and gets his dogs to drag four pigs to the front of the group while he parades around wearing his two military medals. Three dogs also attempt to jump Boxer, the big horse, but Boxer is so strong, he throws them off with ease and even pins one dog down. Love it. Ready to crush it until Napoleon says, hey, let him go. And he goes, all right, if you say huh, so. Okay, so he's still thinking Napoleon's all right. He doesn't realize that Napoleon has told the, the yeah, dogs okay, to take gotcha. the four Where pig, did he get the medals from? I thought that too. They have made him out of something. They're awarding medals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they're awarding medals. Oh, they've made him out of something. I Obviously, that was probably... Bit of foil. Makes it seem like a silly question when you, when you say that. <laughs> the four pigs that were dragged out the front by the dogs are the ones that protested when the Sunday meetings were abolished. Remember, oh. at first everyone was like, what? What are you talking about? We, we need these meetings. And when Napoleon asks if they have any crimes to confess, they admit that they have been working in cahoots with Snowball and that they helped him destroy the windmill. They add that Snowball had privately admitted to them that he had been Jones's secret agent in the years past. 
And this is what the book says. Quote, when they had finished their confession, the dogs promptly tore their throats out. So they get killed. I don't think that's true, though. No, it's not true at all. Yeah. This is reminiscent of the Stalin's Great Purge where hundreds of thousands, if not millions of citizens were executed, often after show trials where they admitted to plotting against the state and where they often did implicated others, usually because they'd been tortured. Yeah. So there's, they're told to say this that. This is what you say. You read this script, admit that you did everything wrong and that Stalin's great, and then you, they get killed. Because in the book, Napoleon asks, any other animals have anything to confess? And then three hens who are responsible for the egg strike step forward and they say, Snowball told us, told us to do it. And then a goose comes forward and confesses to having s- secreted six ears of corn during the last year's harvest and then eaten them in one night. This is what the book says. And so the tale of confessions and executions went on until there was a pile of corpses lying before Napoleon's feet and the air was heavy with the smell of blood which had been unknown there since the expulsion of Jones. Why why are the hens admitting to that and implicating Snowball? I don't understand. Because that that would often happen in the show trials. You'd get up there and say, yes, I was working in cahoots with the enemy. Were they thinking that um, they'd get off? because of that no i think that they've probably been taken aside by the pig and the dogs and said you have to say this right wow yeah afterwards the animals were in shock as this was the first time an animal had been killed since mr jones left boxer the horse can't make any sense of it and decides it must have been something they did by not working hard enough and decides from now on he'll work even harder oh he's gonna have to change his motto work even 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 harder Mm. The animals try to cheer themselves up by singing Beasts of England, the song that they, you know, learnt at the start of the revolution. But Squealer tells them the singing of their favourite song will now be outlawed as the rebellion has been a success and they don't need to sing it anymore. Really, it's because the reality they're living in now is quite similar to the farm of old. And by singing the Beasts of England, which celebrates the way in which they are free, they might notice that things aren't, in fact, better than they used to be. And they're given, instead, a new pig penned poem to sing or pig hoofed poem to sing thank you no do they still penned it they're not what is he i don't think he understood what he did wrong before (laughs) 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 and the new poem doesn't rouse them at all because it's just animal farm animal farm never through me shall thou come to harm well might not have roused them but it aroused me (laughs) your beautiful dulcet tones there dave the golden tonsils awoke something Strike inside again. of me. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Matt, I am going to ask that you do put some clothes on at this point okay. then, because that is making me uncomfortable. All right. I think fair's fair. <laughs> I'll put on a shawl. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little drafty in here. I'll put on a shawl. One of those um, hospital gowns that's completely open at the back. <laughs> but mine's open at the front. It's <laughs> on <laughs> At this point, some of the animals start to think they remember that one of the seven commandments was no animal shall kill any other animal. But then they go and check the wall and see that it says no animal shall kill any other animal without cause. Oh, yeah. They must have been mistaken. Yeah, I think that's what you said at the start, Dave. Yeah, right? You can, that was years ago. I can't. Surely that, that must be it. That's what they all think. Finally, they finish the windmill. 
The animals wonder if they used to have more food and work less when Mr. Jones was in charge, but Squealer assures them with figures that show that every year rations have been increased. Whoa. It's better now than ever. Oh, wow. that's great news. That's great. Good okay, news. Okay, well, yeah, that's a silver lining there, isn't mm. it? Napoleon negotiates to sell firewood to the neighbouring farms. First, uh, Mr. Pilkington, but then he makes an agreement. Hitler. But then he makes an agreement with Mr. Frederick. <gasps> but three days later, the animals... Churchill. But three days later, the animals discover that the money he used to pay are, in fact, forgeries. Napoleon declares a death sentence on Mr. Frederick. The next day, Mr. Frederick and 15 of his men armed with guns attack Animal Farm. And as the animals are pinned down, the humans blow up the windmill with explosives. Uh, With snowball involved? While seeing their hard work destroyed the... Seeing their hard work destroyed, the animals are inspired with rage to fight back and evict the occupiers. Boxer alone kills three people. Whoa, Whoa. Boxer. You, he's a huge horse. He must be the biggest horse ever. It's like He's like a double Clydesdale. Whoa. A double. Double C. Is that one standing on top of another Clydesdale? Yep. That's big. And very hard to balance. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They clip and clop so much as it is. Yeah, double clip clop. Clip, clip, clop, clop. I'm Googling biggest horse. Oh, I can tell you. Yeah. I did it on a. There was a question on who knew it a while ago, and it is so big. Who is it? Oh, what was his name? Well, when I say I can tell you, well, I lied. You you could tell just by also googling. (laughs) (laughs) Biggest horse ever recorded was Samson. How big we talking? Who was from the Shire breed? He weighed an astounding three thousand three hundred fifty nine pounds and stood over twenty two hands tall. The tallest horse alive as of twenty twenty one is Big Jake, (laughs) who measured just over twenty two hands, which it said the other one did too. Big Jake, um, who was a Belgian, weighed significantly less though. So Samson seems like the biggest horse. Wow, Samson's so big. Maybe boxes halfway so between the two, maybe. Look at this photo of Samson. Holy shit, that's a big that's horse. That's a muscly horse too. It's just so thick. <laughs> you love a thick, beefy animal. I love beefy animals. But look at this. This bit's not normally so big on a horse. Which bit? That bit at the back. Yeah, you got a thick neck. Yeah, thick-necked horse. Th- I want to. I just need to convert this into kilos, and then I can concentrate on you again, Dave, because that's really just blown my mind. That's a big freaking horse. Pounds to kg. But do you know how much an average horse weighs? Weighs fifteen hundred kilos. That's huge. Fifteen hundred. Hmm. Okay. Average weight of horse. Don't edit any of this out, Dave. A thousand kilos. Oh wow! He's That's one and a half heavy horses. Is seven seven hundred to a thousand kilos? Okay. That's a big horse. We're talking a big horse. That is a huge horse. And that's probably what boxer is. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. And this whole bit where they have a fight with the other farm and the other farm comes in after making a deal with him that mirrors uh, World War Two when Stalin signed a non-aggression pact with Hitler and then Hitler invaded Russia and took the Soviets by surprise. And initially, the Nazi invasion was successful, but eventually the Soviets were able to fight back through a counter-offensive. I've got to say, this Hitler guy sounds awful. Mm. No good. Dare I say. It's interesting, Hitler was a human in this. Stalin was a pig. Hmm. Makes you think. Makes you think. Oh, that does make you think. Mm. What's that an allegory for? <laughs> Allegory. Allegory. Hello, allegory. <laughs> what allegory? Boxer, you're never going to believe it. What? The windmill's gone, but he commits to working harder than ever to rebuild it. Boxer! But at age 11 and now injured in the fighting, he quietly realises 
might not be as strong as he once was. But he thinks if he works hard for one more year, he will reach 12, which is retirement age for a horse on the farm. He'll be able to live his days out on a field dedicated to retirement. Mm. That's one of the I definitely think they'll let him do that. Yeah, that sounds like that'll happen. That sounds great. Mm. Although this field is soon commandeered so that Napoleon, who has gotten a taste for human whiskey, can plant barley. Oh, my God. Oh, dear. So now I kind of feel like they said no drinking alcohol. Well, the animals then think another commandment looks different. Whilst in their memory it used to say no animal shall drink alcohol, now it says no animal shall drink alcohol to excess. Oh, yeah. That's a good rule. You know, for anyone, I think. And I think it's it's very clear. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah like there's, there's a, lot, a lot of parameters there. Exactly right. No wiggle room. Yeah. This is black and white. Yep. Okay, no shades here. No. One night, the animals awake to a large crash and find the that next to the wall of commandments, Squealer, the pig, passed out next to the ladder with a can of white paint and a paintbrush. And they're like, oh, what are you doing out here? None of the none of the animals except Benjamin, the old donkey, put two and two together about what's going on. But Benjamin chooses to stay out of politics and say nothing, so they don't know that it's the pigs that are up there painting, repainting the the commandments. Because what day. was the donkey's trait? It was like a a skeptic or something? Yes, he's cynical, cynical, but doesn't actually say anything, which I think is like the uh, he's supposed to represent like the intelligentsia of society, right? That are. Quietly able to realise, huh, look what's going on here. Mm. Aren't, these, aren't these peasants silly, but not actually doing anything about it? Cool. Right. Till it's too late. Nice one. Nice one, guys. Great people. The animals' rations are decreased even further, whilst the pigs continue to somehow grow fatter. Napoleon fathers 31 piglets and orders a classroom be built so he can educate them, creating an upper class of pigs. Animal Farm is eventually proclaimed a republic, Napoleon is elected president as there are no other potential candidates put forward. Huh. So he's basically a king. Boxer continues his backbreaking labor to build a new windmill despite having a severely injured hoof. Mm. Clover, his uh, companion horse, warns him to take it easy, but he doesn't until one day he collapses having suffered a collapsed lung. No! Me! Mm. Oh, sorry, Jess. You're helped back into your stall. And Squealer informs them that Napoleon has sent for the vet to treat Boxer. The others aren't happy with the idea of trusting an evil human to look after him. But they're assured it's all right. The next day, whilst out working, Benjamin the old donkey, donkey comes running to the group and tells them, They're taking Boxer away! They're taking him away! They see a van pulling off down the driveway and all the animals run after it, yelling and waving, Goodbye, Boxer! Goodbye! See you soon! But Benjamin tells the others, Fools! Don't you know what it says on the side of that van? And he reads to them, it says, Alfred Simmons, Horse Slaughterer and Glue Boiler. Yeah, no, let's not jump to conclusions. Let's not jump to conclusions. That could mean anything. <laughs> the, the animals <laughs> scream out to Boxer to... Fight and break free, fight back. But he is old and weak now, never having realised or taken full advantage of his powers like the Soviet proletariat. And he can't break free. The van pulls away and they never see Boxer again. Because he, they fixed his lung up and he just lived on another farm. Oh, for that is such great news. That's yes. The glue would have been used to fix the lung. Yeah. To, hold, to hold the lung in place. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, such the next day, Squealer, the, the pig tells them, 
hey, I've, I've heard some rumors about Boxer and they I'm here to tell you they're not true. There's a very simple explanation for why that van came. He says the van was previously the property of the knacker, yes, and had been bought by the veterinarian surgeon who had not yet painted the old name yeah, off. That makes sense. He said Napoleon paid for the best medicine available. Sadly, Boxer died anyway. Very uncomfortable. And his last words were, very comfortable, I should say. His last words were, Ford in the name of the rebellion. Long live Animal Farm. Long live Comrade Napoleon. Napoleon is always right. That wow. And then he died. Like Boxer would yeah. say. The animals are, they're happy to hear this explanation, thank goodness. Though they do begin to wonder where the pigs got the money to buy another case of whiskey that arrives the next day. They're like, huh. Got an influx of money from somewhere. Anyway, we hit the final chapter where years have now passed. Only Benjamin, Clover, and some of the pigs remember life before the rebellion. Clover is 14 years old. She's a horse and still not retired, despite being two years over the retirement age. Mm. They try to remember if life was better before they removed Mr. Jones, and they can't quite recall. Even so, they feel proud to live on Animal Farm. The second windmill is done, but they use it for milling profitable corn, not for electricity as Snowball had originally proposed. They're not living a life of luxury, and they're certainly not working three days a week as he told them they would. It says, quote, Napoleon had denounced such an idea as contrary to the spirit of animalism. The truest happiness, he said, lay in working hard and living frugally. Hmm. That'll make you happy. Oh, man. How... Fun is frugality. Oh, it feels so That's good. That's fun. It's my it, favourite activity. I didn't realise this book was actually a frugal... A frugalery. A frugal... Frugalagory. Frugalagory. I didn't know it was a frugalagory. Oh, that's good. That is good stuff. There were more pigs and more dogs than ever on the farm now. Squealer takes the sheep away to a, a cl- secluded spot on the farm. He says he needs to teach them a new song. When they return, the animals are shocked to see that Squealer the pig is walking on two legs. Wait, what? (laughs) Napoleon also walks on two legs. These are pigs. They've taught themselves to walk on two legs. (laughs) And they took the sheep away and they came back walking on two legs. No, just the pigs walking on... Because before the animals can protest or say anything like... What the fuck? You're not supposed to walk on two legs. <laughs> the sheep loudly start bleating, four legs good, two legs better. Ooh. So that was the new song that they were taught. That's catchier. <clears throat> I like that. And yeah. soon the final commandment is altered as well. It now reads, all animals are equal, but some animals <laughs> are more equal than others. That's where that comes from? Yeah. Whoa. Bloody from hell. this book. See, that's what I thought. I did think that was funny. Like, Pigs I think walking that's a, on their hind legs. I, no, is very I think the, the change. Right, <laughs> I think funny, the changing yeah. of the of the commandments. I I thought was funny. It is funny. Some some animals are equal. Some all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than that's others. That's funny. It's it's like um, you are all individuals. We are no, all, all individuals. individuals. Yeah, I'm not. That's funny. That was from Babe. That's Babe. Yeah. yeah. That is what good. Sorry, babe two, pig in the city. Yeah. <laughs> and then the book says, quote, after that, it did not seem strange when the next day the pigs who were supervising the work of the farm all carried whips in their trotters. The pigs soon owned radios, 
had a telephone installed, and ordered subscriptions to human newspapers. Napoleon even starts to wear clothes and smoke a pipe. Soon, Napoleon invites neighbouring human farmers to Animal Farm for a tour. The animals are terrified of the humans, who that night go into the farmhouse, where they are heard laughing, drinking and playing cards with the pigs. The other animals creep up to the window and see that inside is Mr. Pilkington from the neighbouring Foxwood Farm, who stands and makes a speech about how the humans have been wrong about animals running a farm. He's very happy to say that hostilities between the two farms are over and how he's impressed to see that on Animal Farm, animals did more work and received even less food than any other animals in the county. He says, he and his fellow visitors today have observed many features which they intend to introduce on their farms immediately. Uh, this meeting in the farmhouse is a mirror of the 1943 Tehran Conference, the first of three conferences in which US President F.D. Roosevelt UK Prime Minister Churchill and Stalin met to talk about how they could create peace after World War II. Anyway, Napoleon then... Wasn't Pilkington Hitler? I had him twisted around. Or is Hitler's already gone? Hitler is gone. We don't hear from him again. Right. Because he... Yeah, we know what happened. He went to his farm bunker. Exactly. <laughs> Blew his farm brains out. <laughs> Napoleon the pig then stands up and thanks Mr. Pilkington for his speech, but corrects the man on one thing. The farm shall no longer be known as Animal Farm, but is in fact changing its name back to Manor Farm. Napoleon ends his small speech by saying, Gentlemen, here is my toast to the prosperity of the Manor Farm. And the animals outside watch on as the pigs and the humans cheer, but their eyes flip from one to another and can't quite make sense of what they're seeing. Anyway... Their faces seem to be melting and changing somehow, but as those inside stop cheering and start their card game, the animals outside slowly walk back to the barn. But after a few metres of walking, the animals outside hear shouting voices and rush back to the window to see that a violent argument has started, with Napoleon and Mr. Pilkington both having played an ace of spades. They shout and look at each other accusingly. Then... The final line of the book comes, and it is, Twelve voices were shouting in anger, and they were all alike. No question now what had happened to the faces of the pigs. The creatures outside looked from pig to man, and from man to pig, and from pig to man again. But already, it was impossible to say which was which. Whoa. The end. Napoleon turned into a man. That's right. And Everything... Pilkington turned into a pig man? Whoa. Whoa. Everything had come full circle and the pigs had become exactly what they had originally hoped to abolish. Wow. The All end. because Napoleon was a real piece of shit. A real piece of shit. Do you get the feeling... I can't tell if, like, it's just something that happened with a bit of power or if that was kind of the long game the whole time. Ah. Uh. Hard to say. Yeah. Well, there's that famous uh, quote that is always an essay question on Year 12 es essays. They say that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Discuss. Discuss. <laughs> wow. 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 I don't get it. <laughs> I don't think I'd pass Year 12 now. <laughs> you wouldn't pass it? And who's, here's the thing. So? Yeah. You know what I mean? Are I'm the... rich <laughs> and cares? powerful and hot. And corrupted. I yeah I I agree I would I would that battle I'm rich for, powerful and hot 
Yes, I agree with that. But I would also I'd battle with year twelve. And it's so funny that they don't tell you how little it matters. I also think I'd fail a driving test. Oh my gosh! Yeah, your three point turns are superb, Jess. Thank you, but you that's only it. part of the test. My reverse parallel is also incredible. Yeah, the part where they ask you to toot the horn, you'd be like, "What's a horn?" <laughs> I don't know what that I is. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the the written part of the test is probably where you'd struggle. Yeah, I, I yeah. You never learn how to read. <laughs> <laughs> I did read, and I read that book. What do you guys think of it? I just heard it before, obviously. Yeah, but I I remembered bits as we went along, but I'd I'd forgotten huge chunks of it, and really thought the whole time it was communism, not the Russian Revolution. Yeah, right, but they that's claim that becomes, right? that's socialism that they're adopting, yeah. but then it just all gets very much corrupted. Yes, right. yes, yes, yes. Socialism, Absolutely. communism. But I like it as a story. I do think there's elements that are a bit funny. Maybe not on purpose, but I do think changing the words to suit you is pretty funny. And then everybody going, huh. I, no, guess I guess so. it's always yeah. been. Yeah, I found that. But that's classic classic dictator rewriting history there. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I think it's, like, it's a very good book, but geez, it's a grim story. Um, yes. Of course. Because it's I, based on one of the most grim periods in human history. Because like, you, yeah. want, you want uh, old Major's vision to come true. Yeah. Yes, or for a while there, it really looked like, you know, in the Russian Revolution, that, wow, these people are putting forward these ideas. It's all going to be better now. And then, you know, it just takes one person to maneuver into that place of power and then ruin everything. Mm. Yeah. Well, we won't let that happen again. Yeah. <laughs> Jess is a member of the proletariat. Yes. Can you make sure you pull your bloody finger out, mate? No. <laughs> well, the only thing left to do is we give it a score out of five, as you heard it here today. Am I saying, was it, was it the proletariat? I don't know what that means. Is the proletariat the one you said were just like... Yeah, so they're the masses, slack. the working cl- what class and, and the peasants, and Boxer represented them because he never knew his own strength. So it wasn't them it, that needed to pull their finger out. It was the, what did, what did you call the sort of the academics and that? Yes, that's right. The scholars and the, uh, the intelligentsia. Oh, the in- who Jess, are happy to as a member of the intelligentsia, huh? pull your bloody finger out. Who I'm... were happy to sit back and like make snide comments, but never really engage on how they can fix uh, yeah. it. Yeah, I'm Boxer the dumb horse. Word. That's what I am. I'm a dumb horse. Right. So you are proletariat, which I love as a word. And now I like that I sort of kind of almost know sort of what it means. Wow. <laughs> We've learned today. So a score out of five. I'm going to... out of five. Can I go? Can I Please tell you what just. I think? I'm going to give it a four. Four out of five. Fantastic. Yeah, why not? It's pretty good. Yeah. I'm going to give it a 3.8. Okay. 3.8 out of 5. Okay, fantastic. And for you, Dave? I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. It's, um, I've got to say, if you haven't read it, it's a, it's a pretty quick read and uh, it is gripping and it's amazing how a story about animals can make you feel so much, mm. if that makes sense. Which I I am an animal lover, I will say that. But Were you also, weeping into the book? But it's just so tragic, especially when the, the animals are murdered and mm. when uh, Boxer is taken away. That really, you know... Tears my eyes in that scene, I've got to say. Mm. It's sad. It is sad because Boxer is such a big old sweetie bullshit. I know, head. and he works so hard yeah. for, the, for the cause. And then at the end, when he was no longer needed, they just shipped him off. And he's smarter than he thinks he is because he's always sort of like, oh, I remember snowballing yeah. and fighting, but oh, I guess I'm wrong. And that's gaslighting. That is absolutely. That is the product of being gaslit. Mm. Well, I'm an, I'm an idiot. I must remember things wrong. I'm no. going to give it a four. Okay. Okay, we're up. I've been thinking about it a bit more. This is really it's just because it's a grim story doesn't mean it's a. I, I was letting that cloud me too much. It was really it was a really good book as you told it. 
but yeah, it has made me feel depressed. Yeah. Yes, and the more you think about it, you go, huh, these animals all represent real people too. Anyway. Millions of them. Yeah, millions of them. But it happened. Mm. It happened. And so did this podcast. It happened. Thank you so much for joining us for it. We really appreciate it. You can uh, suggest a book by uh, clicking the link in the description of this episode. But before we go, one more time, we've all got shows coming up. Do go on the quiz show. There's a couple more to go. Monday nights at the town hall. Great guests coming on. Jesse, you've got your show. Almost maybe. Almost maybe. It kicks off on the 14th of April. And I've got, um, yeah, shows that uh, still have room, I think, on the 22nd and 23rd. Fantastic. And Matt? My show Ding. It's on. It's already on and it's on every night, 6.30 and 5.30 on Sundays. And yeah, live Who Knew It With Matt Stewart podcast with Meso, Cass Page and Ben Russell on the 9th of April at the... Mason uh, Morris, Morris House. House. Why is that one so hard to remember? <laughs> and in Brisbane at the Powerhouse in May. Fantastic. And I've got just under a week left of even hotter in real life when this comes out. Come see me at Campari House. It's not too late. You can you can see it. It's a great show. You so should see it. It's just a nice time. And you reference a book in there somewhere. That's right. There's one book joke in there. And you should come to our quiz show as well because it's I, I, maybe like saying it's a it's a quiz show doesn't sound as interesting because it is a, a wild ride. Yeah. Anything can happen. Mm. Last year, within the first few minutes, we all got up and sang the national anthem. Exactly. Anything can happen. Anything. Nothing's off the table. Because Napoleon the pig told us yeah, to. Yeah, and we obey Napoleon. Well, that's it from us here at Bookchit this week. Thanks so much for listening. And as we always say here, books forever. forever!